Hello, my name is Gary Bontrager. I have Heather Mullinex, my co-host with me today. I wanna welcome you to another episode of Mindset Growth Podcast. We are very excited to have our next guest with us. I believe in all the changing that of things we see in the world today when it comes to marketing and advertising and how we communicate with people and sell you know, services and things like that, it's always changing. So I think this person and this guest is going to be able to maybe give us some ideas and lay out what goes on behind the scenes and how we communicate and connect with people. So without any further ado, I want to welcome Ken Duncan. Ken, welcome to Mindset Growth Podcast. Thank you, Gary and Heather. Thanks, Ken. We were just having a, a off-camera conversation learning a lot about your wife, actually. <laughs> how artistic Most important she is. person in my life, there you yes. Go. Well, that's good. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, from some of the research we did, you are not a local or native Iowan. So. No, I was born in Nashville, and my dad was a power dispatcher for TVA. And then when I was about eight, we moved up to South Dakota, where the east-west power grids came together, okay. and he did the same job there. And by the way, it is above the Arctic Circle. <laughs> um, I uh, went through high school there phenomenal place to grow up very very musical which had huge influences on me uh day after i graduated uh, three musician friends and i went to phoenix to play gigs and to get jobs and uh believe it or not because we were from the midwest we all got jobs within two days southern and, states really like midwesterners well i had had experience working in music stores all through junior high and high school. And so I had a letter of recommendation. I went down there and and the thing is though, is I had I had long hair down to here. And um, the store that I applied, the oldest family owned music store in downtown Phoenix, um, the manager said, well, we have a hair code and dress code here. But it, he said, if you'd been from the East or West Coast, I wouldn't even be talking to you. But since you're from the Midwest. I know you know how to work, so you're going to be our experiment. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I knew I'd only be there till probably mid-August, but within that period of time, I was able to help quadruple their combo sales. Okay. And uh, then I came to University of Iowa. So their experiment went very well. Oh, well. And you didn't have to cut he your thought hair. So. Oh, no, I didn't cut my hair. No, I didn't do that until 1980. But, uh, you know, I had to look like a drummer in a rock band or a funk band. So that's interesting because I know uh, geographical growing up in the Midwest. I mean, we always heard Midwest values and work ethics and things like that. I don't think we hear as much about that anymore. I think just, you know, maybe it's internet or whatever, but it's changed because. I think it's, I think it's uh, an elite attitude on the coasts. Okay. I think they're ignorant. Okay. <laughs> no, really, if you think about it, you ask somebody where Iowa is and they go, what, Idaho City, Ohio? Uh -huh. Right. You know, I mean, they, mm -mm, people are not quite as educated as we enjoy being here. And we're aware of the rest of the country and the rest of the world. Right. Because we are more, we don't maybe have as many different things available. The thing I hear a lot is 
oh, you guys grow potatoes. And I'm like, no, we're the corn state. <laughs> well, so I lived in Phoenix for six years and I didn't have a single classmate except for there was one that was also from Iowa. Uh -huh. And we'd both fly back to visit other family during yeah. the summer. So he you knew, knew where Iowa was, but sure. nobody else did. No, nobody did that. In 93, I became the the first and only Steadicam owner operator. Steadicam is what they use in the movies and right. they wear it and you can, you know, go over rough ground and stairs and things right. like that. But anyway, I went out there and at that time they required you to uh train with professional Steadicam operators for a week to learn the system before they would allow you to buy it. <laughs> and so cuz cost $30,000, so they yeah. wanted to make sure that you, you knew. were you knew what you were doing. Right. And I was very fortunate to have two of the best. And, you know, for the first couple of days, they were saying, Iowa, Iowa. Well, I don't think we've ever heard anybody in Iowa buying one of these. And I said, well, Here they I told am. me I'm the first. And they said, well, what's in Iowa? <laughs> and I said, oh, man, it's pigs, cows, corn, that type of thing. <laughs> and, and they actually believed that for a couple of days. And, and they were young, they were young guys yeah. my age at the time, you know. And, and they said, oh, now, come on. Tell us what it's like. And I described Iowa City, which is right. an oasis in the middle of everything out right. here anyway. Which is where anyway. we're sitting right now, where we're... Oh, going. exactly. And they said, gosh, that sounds like someplace we'd like to move. Uh -huh. And then I told them, I told them, I says, well, the problem is, is you have to get permission and clearance <laughs> if you're moving from the east or west coast to Iowa City. And for half a day, they believed me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, it's just so much fun to, to, to play with people who think they know so much. I was, yeah. uh, one thing we have here in Iowa City, and we're getting a little off track, but it's just uh, the warmth that is displayed here. Oh, yeah. I was at one of those, we have a lot of little, I don't know if you call them micro pubs or whatever, but it's just good. A lot of the, well, it wasn't a brewery, but it's just. You know, they can be classified as a bar, but the big thing they do is they'll get a lot of their, say, meat and produce and all that is, it's actually locally growing. Sure. It's within 20 miles of here and it can be yep. everything they pretty much use. And this gentleman from New Jersey was here because he was, I think, dean of admissions or something at a college. And there were a couple, they wanted him to become connected because where he was at was a two-year school. Okay. And they wanted him to go visit all the Big Ten locations. And he had avoided Iowa for two years. And they finally gave him an ultimatum. <laughs> and he showed up in Iowa City. They threatened him. <laughs> and as luck would have it, I sat beside him. And he had ordered, I think, two meals by now, by the time I got there. And he was just tasting it. Like, he goes, I've never tasted food this phenomenal. And yeah. I said, and I pulled out the menu and I said, I know this farmer. I know sure. this farmer. And he was dumbfounded that, and I'm like, they're not lying on this menu when they tell you the food's locally growing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it all, and I lived two miles from where the eggs came from. And he there was you like, go. really? And so he goes, I'm going back to New Jersey and I'm telling everybody to come to Iowa City to, to finish up their degree. <laughs> well, and, and that's, that's how we end up with such a, cultural diversity right at the university because mm -hmm. my band director had gotten his master's at iowa i'd already been accepted to six colleges but he said hey why don't you go check this out they got this great guy professor tom davis the first one 
<laughs> and uh, he's he's incredible, and and just audition for a scholarship, and just check it out. So I came down, uh, met Tom, and uh, fell in love with the town right away. Uh, I got the scholarship, which was nice. So um, after about a month being here, I said, you know, I'm never going to move from here. Right. It's, you know, I may be on the road touring, which I did for several years, but this is always home base. I always came back. So what which is, Go ahead. Sorry. Which is, you know, kind of crazy, really, you being originally from Nashville. Well, you know, yeah, but I was really young in and... Tennessee. We moved up okay. to South Dakota when I was eight. Okay. So um, for a lot of reasons through singing and doing a lot of voiceover work and radio work and things like that, I lost my Southern accent. Okay. But if I go back for about a week, I get it all it back. It comes right back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what town in South Dakota did you- Watertown. Okay. It's uh, almost two hours north of Sioux Falls. Gotcha. Gotcha. We're going to shift gears a little bit. We'll get back into some other things that you're doing. Uh, because we're kind of skipping ahead anyway. So we usually throw in some rapid-fire questions. You don't get to see these. It's just kind of fun to see how people respond, get us fired up, See, in music, up, we call this improvisation. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> we call them rapid-fires on this podcast. Or, so. or, or a jam session, so whatever it's going to be. Well, we usually do these to loosen people up, but I, I feel like we don't really need that with you, but that's okay. It's going to be fun anyway. Sometimes so. folks are just a little cautious, you know, if they don't know us real well. But the well, first... I don't know you real well, but I have a pretty good feeling so far. Right. <laughs> we're, we're Iowa nice, right? Yeah. What was the worst? What was your worst job? Oh, my gosh. You know, I've had a lot of jobs. In fact, my dad used to get mad at me for holding two or three jobs all through high school because I just, I loved working. I worked in music stores. I delivered prescriptions. Um, and when I came to Iowa City, I was assistant manager during college of, of a very popular Italian restaurant. I guess I found out that food service was not where my future was, but I still loved it. I still right. liked everything I did. And I guess... You know, my dad said, do everything well, and you can convince yourself to like it. But then you learn from it, and you say, okay, well, I did that. Let's try something else. Let's right. do something else. So not necessarily a single job, but the food industry wasn't That's a, a tough one for a lot taking. of people. Yeah, yeah. But again, I, I like the cooking part. I just... The restaurant I worked for didn't have an automatic dishwasher, so we all <laughs> we had to take turns doing it. And that, that was... That was the worst. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the best thing that your company does, your agency? Well, we try to excel in everything for our clients. Um, I started at the end of my freshman year of college. I visited my uncle in Knoxville, Tennessee. And in 1960, he and my dad had started Duncan Advertising, which was a specialty advertising with imprinted pens and anything imprinted. And back then, there wasn't near what they can do today. But he said, um, hey, you interested in a job? And I said, well, yeah, I love working. He said, well, how would you like to sell advertising? And even though my dad had gotten out of that in the mid-60s when we moved to South Dakota, I'd been around it. And I said, ah, sure, I love selling, you know, so let's just go for it. So he gave me the ASI uh, advertising specialty catalog about that thick and order forms and my first wooden briefcase which i still yeah. have 
And he said, the only advice he gave me is call on banks. They like this stuff. Okay. So I came back, and about six weeks, eight weeks after I'd been here selling, he gets a call from Ray Bywater, who owned at that time, the Bywater family owned uh, Economy Advertising, at that time Bankers Advertising, which is the largest specialty company in the country, as far as sales force goes. And he said, do you have somebody up here selling? And my uncle said, why, is he taking your clients? And he says, yeah, he's got six banks so far. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I just love sales. Right. And uh, good products, make people happy. It's always win-win. Well, sales is really just a, a marketing job. People buy from people they like. I mean, that's what we work with clients. That's and if true. if you can connect and people like you, they will likely do business with you. I agree. Um, over the years, I've been asked to speak to the graduates over at the University Business School. Right. Okay. And I'd go in there and talk to them about sales and advertising, and I would define advertising as to communicate with enthusiasm the benefits, not features, but benefits of a product or service to a targeted audience. Okay. And then I would say my definition for sales is to communicate with enthusiasm the benefits, not features, but benefits of a product or service to a targeted audience. And then I'd say, do you see a difference? There is none. Right. You're not talking somebody into something. You're no. just expressing with enthusiasm, you know, what could benefit them. Right. And uh, to me, it's, it's the perfect thing because everybody wins. And everybody really has to sell in their life. Ask somebody who's married. <laughs> you know, the guy had to do a sales job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Hopefully it didn't go the other way. You right. Know? Yeah. Didn't overpromise and underdeliver. But, right. Uh, no, that's true. It's, uh, I, I think a lot of folks like to say they're not in sales, but really everything in life. And it comes back to that relational aspect of it relations and communication yeah. and, and an ability to talk and think yeah. on their feet right you know we've tried to impress on our three kids that and i think we've messed them all up because they're all entrepreneurs well <laughs> i don't know <laughs> no, it's right we from the sales point yeah all right the next one what are you tired of hearing about what am i tired of hearing about um I have been accused of being an eternal optimist all my life, and I don't like negativity or criticism. When I was playing my bands in the 70s, the golden era of, you know, we had Maxwell's in Iowa City and these huge clubs and traveled all over the Midwest, and, and really the, the harshest critics we ever had were two drunks sitting at the end of the bar fighting over who's going to buy the next round. <laughs> I, I've never been a fan of criticism. Okay. I love going out and see my fellow musicians and bands, but I won't criticize them because they're the ones on stage. Right. Sure. You know, let's just support everybody and well, motivate them and that kind of thing. So I think the negativity, the try to tear somebody down, and of course, I'm not even going to mention politics because that's all that's, <laughs> that's all, all it seems is. to be now. Right. But no, even in life and stuff, to look at somebody with even an ounce of envy and try to I mean if if you're if you're tearing somebody down where do you have to be in relationship to them right you have to be below them right I'd rather 
lift somebody up right. and try to motivate them to do better. I appreciate that yeah. tremendously. Uh, I've, I'm sure like all people experience that at times from people where people will attack and do those things. And it's, it's back to your point. I want to just bring reference to it for listeners. They really, to tear somebody down, they have to be beneath you to do it. Yeah. And I, I want to just repeat, I mean, you said it, but it is so true. If uh, you want to elevate yourself, be positive, look for the good in people and help them on their path up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't try to pull them back to your level. And it's, work harder than anybody else. Absolutely. Because that's, that's a huge key. I was always willing to work as many hours as hard as I possibly could to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And my parents, especially my dad, kind of messed me up by saying, well, if you work hard and, and treat people right, you can't fail. And I believed them. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's just been a huge thing. And then when I met my wife, here was somebody who was of exactly the same mind and I can't tell you how valuable that is. Right. To be in a relationship and have somebody who you can support and who can support you because there's nothing like it. Right. Well, that's good to hear too because I would uh, I would suggest we probably it's not often you you see marriages where people are you know that unified. There's always it seems often. Uh, People get married sometimes when they're younger or mm -hmm. whatever the circumstances are. And it right. seems like uh, I, I love to hear stories like that and hear you say that. Well, we each it's... had to try it once before we got it right, though. Oh, okay. Oh, well. yeah. No, no. And, and, and her background was also heavily in sales. She, was, uh, she sold Southwestern books yep. during college. And um, so but she— But still, to have that relationship and connection is oh, tremendous right. in your life. I mean, yep. it's not doesn't discount the fact— you had to try it twice. It's well that it's, you, you hopefully you learn from your mistakes, right? But I also learned two things in a relationship, and this is I think business as well as marriage or anything else is before you say something, ask two questions: Is it necessary? Does it edify? And mm. if you can't answer yes to those two questions, shut up, <laughs> because. Really, in relationships with anybody, um, that that'll kind of fix everything. It'll keep you from stepping in it. Yeah. In that there's, case, I may not talk again. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely a lot of times that a pause is necessary. And well, sure. Well, in a marriage, it's just you know, from my standpoint, it's necessary to just follow those. Focus two. on the greater good. Well, oh yeah. And oh, yeah. going back to the the criticisms, it's so easy for people to get negative on social media because oh, there's nobody in front of you. So, you know, the the pause is so necessary there. Like, why? Yeah. I believe social media has created cowards. Absolutely. Complete cowards. Mm -hmm. Because even if they have their name out there, they're still not immediately attainable by somebody to sit right. across from them and have an intelligent. I think critical thinking is something that is not understood by a whole lot of people, no matter what age, but especially younger people, because they haven't, they haven't been involved in it. Yeah. Well, even as an older teenager, 
you know, I can still remember, and I, I don't know, maybe I was trying to stay out of it, but I still remember friends rolling around, pounding on each other because they actually were dumb enough to say it to their face. Yeah. And it got dealt with right on the spot. Well, that's true. We did. <laughs> yeah. We you all know, had some of that. And if I didn't and have, some... and if I didn't get involved in it, I learned that was a stupid thing to say or to respond to somebody. <laughs> that was maybe a stupid thing. And, it, and those actions are physically harmful. However, how many of those things, yes, did it was resolved, it was done, the boys were friends again. Oh, yeah, you walked away, you were friends Or siblings. Again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Oh, siblings. my gosh, Absolutely. yeah. yeah. I well, that happened. I owe a lot to my brother, my older brother. Yeah, but those were just differences. I think you're right about that. We dealt with a lot of those things immediately. It wasn't like now we're throwing jabs and... And we can vanish. Well, you and, can, yeah, you mm -hmm. can put things out there, and then, and then it's just like, well, you know, hey, you know, right? Yeah, I'm you in can, my basement in my PJs. You can completely tarnish somebody's character. Well, that's with the part that's very damaging. That don't go right. away. Right, because it used to be, people would send in letters to the editor, and the newspaper yes. would actually filter them and uh -huh. figure out, well, one, could this be true? And is this person have an agenda or this or that? Well, now with social media. It's replaced the newspapers, and, and, and my youngest yeah. daughter the other day, we were talking about it, and she said, well, you know, social media, all it is is just a bunch of infomercials. And I was going, wow, that really, that's a light bulb moment. Yeah. Right. And it's, she's, it's, she's, she's in her early 30s. It's marketing is really what they are now, a lot of it. Yeah. So uh, should we get back? Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, you have... We've asked, we've, or we've talked about how you ended up in, in Iowa, but tell us about, you graduated from the musical field. No. No, you didn't. I didn't graduate. You didn't graduate. No. After my third year, I had a chance to tour, and I took okay. it. Tom Davis said, well, you're not going to teach, so yeah, you can always come back. Yeah, I, did, I, I, I don't okay. have a good pedigree. I'm a dog, <laughs> I'm a mutt in a dog show when it comes to that. I just work hard. And I've always liked to sell, and I've always been an idea person. And because of the special advertising influence, I was open to a lot of opportunities. Um, I was, I started my own company. Well, I, I, I worked for a local music store mm -hmm. very successfully for a couple of years. The owner at the time and I came to a disagreement, and... I decided to leave. Um, he changed why he wanted me to work at the store. And he said, well, remember, no man can have too many masters. And a week later, he had my resignation letter because I've never, yeah. I've never been one to want to be under somebody's thumb. And at that point, I, I wasn't. But, right. but then uh, I kind of jumped off and says, okay, now what? So I got involved in developing a lot of advertising projects. Some of them were college posters with advertising on them. Um, I did a lot of coupon book, the, the, uh, the student coupon books that you've seen for yes. years. I started that. Okay. And then the Colorado wow. company about five or six years later took the idea because we were in Colorado already. So we were all in several states doing those things, and then we got aligned with McDonald's, and we were the first company that McDonald's Corporation allowed us to do coupon books 
for non-McDonald's restaurants and distribute them for free through McDonald's restaurants. And the O'Briens here in in uh, Iowa City area were instrumental on making that happen. But the key thing of it is we would sell a coupon page to a business. The coupon books would be given away free at the McDonald's, and 25% of all revenue from that would go to the Ronald McDonald House. Oh, excellent. And we were able to Raise contribute of thousands of dollars to the local Ronald McDonald House, and it was it was great. Yeah. So when you say we, is well, this something that you say kind of developed on your oh, own? I, yes, or? I developed it on my own. Okay. And um, But um, I had other people working in other states with me, you know, oh. as employees for a while and things. And then when College Coupons, which was the name of that, got to a certain extent, then I didn't really want to worry about competing with them. And at the time, I was developing an entertainment magazine for Iowa City. So I published that for two years and <laughs> and uh, sold all the ads. And it was advertising supported and uh, had a lot of fun with that. And then I got involved in... Uh, Producing a lot of radio commercials, do a lot of voiceovers. So let like me that. ask you. I got to ask a couple questions because I'm hearing <laughs> what you're saying. Like, no, wow, no, no, wow. no, no, no. Like, but so you dropped out of school? Oh, no, I didn't drop out of school. I went on tour. I suspended my college career. So you may indefinitely. Still, you may still go back. No, <laughs> both my parents but, passed away, and that was their dream right up until the end. And right. no, I will not. But go back. you, with the blessing, suspended yeah. your college. Yeah. Okay, I didn't say you dropped out. Oh, I won't say you dropped out. You stopped attending. Yeah. With the blessing of a professor, which is unusual. I can't imagine that happening Tom today. Davis was a genius. He was just a phenomenal And then influence. you go out and tour for, what, a couple of years? Oh, we had several years off and on, that type of thing. And then I had another band that we used to travel the country doing, performing at big corporate events, weekend events and stuff. So, no, I've... I've performed. But, okay, so then when that when you come back to Iowa City, now you get into advertising and marketing. What took you down that road? Was it your relationship with your uncle that got you started that selling? That got me started. And that was yeah. just so it was an interest of yours. So that's what yeah. transitioned. So you've really been self-taught in that piece. Of oh, completely. Of okay. I've had a lot of people that I studied from. Um, I was uh, in in the late 70s and 80. There was a business called Tradex. It was a barter exchange in Iowa City. And Bill Nusser Sr., who owned Hans Jewelers, became good friends with me. He was part of the, the, the exchange, and they wanted to open up Iowa City. It was Cedar Rapids base. They wanted to open up Iowa City. He knew I enjoyed sales. And so I, on an independent basis, developed the Iowa City market, put on 110 businesses, and it was very, very successful until the owner decided to do some weird things. And I noticed it. And so I went to all my clients and helped them get to a point with their accounts that they wouldn't be hurt at all. Right. And uh, I did that for six months after I left the company just to make sure that the businesses were taken care of. And then I got, then I was contracted to do uh, radio sales um, for about four or five years independently. I wasn't an employee, but they wanted me to take on special clients that weren't using the stations. And with that, I was uh, 
writing my own commercials, producing most of them, four or 500 a year. And then in 88, I had several clients said, well, if you produced TV commercials, we'd have you do ours. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I bought my first camera. Okay. And uh, so and you were working as a subcontractor to the radio stations. Yes. They just paid you probably a commission. Total commission, hundred percent so commission. You were full on because I and I bring that up because we work with a lot of uh, people that obviously have sales departments. And question often comes up is how to pay salespeople. And the thing that I find interesting, and I'm curious what your take is on this. Most of the people who love sales and are for sure the most successful will want to be on a commission platform 100%. on how they get paid. 100% and others usually, yeah. want to play it safe, and they will maybe find some success, yeah. but the most successful ones will always be take the risk. The 80-20 rule applies to salespeople very strongly, very strongly. Back in the early days, when I was contracted, the percentage that we would be paid in commission was very, very good. Nowadays, the reps, they're almost treated like clerks. And it just, and as an advertising agency, I'm dealing with these reps. And so I like to be an advocate for them. And I hear when their commission structure's been cut or when we get into political season, that always becomes a house account and they don't have any chance for it and things like that. And it, it makes me kind of angry because it, it stifles what true salesmanship to yeah, me is. Really clipping their that's, wings. that's though happens. I mean, I see you, you're, I mean, see the relevancy in TV and radio, but that, uh, that process happens in many, many industries mm -hmm. where they have been, uh, cutting commissions and things have changed Yep, and they don't treat people the same. And they really try to set up the model, I think. So it is more of a clerk or a, uh, uh, maybe just like a, and I'm trying to think not, not a sales assistant, but they're not, they're really just taking an order. They don't respect the art of selling. Right. Most of them don't train their salespeople properly, right. which I think is a big thing, but also they think that anybody can do it. Right. And when I started my ad agency, that's when I left the contract with the radio stations. And at the time, the general manager, and, and I became his largest client overnight. Right. When I, because I had eight or 10 clients who asked me to do that, to be an ad agency for them so they wouldn't have to deal with talking to reps all the time and have it done right, that type of thing. And he told his staff, you know, he says, well, you know, we're going to reassign Ken's, you know, whatever list of clients and see how it goes. Well, a year later, one of the salespeople there called me and said, well, we just had our annual review and your list lost 60%. <laughs> so, and, and he said, the, the general manager says, well, I guess it does matter who calls on them. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, you know. It does matter. It does matter who, who does it. People do business with people at the end of the day. We talk yeah. about that a lot, but right. it comes back to relationships and mm -hmm. the people. And We want to thank Gary Bontrager Consulting for being a sponsor on the Mindset Growth Podcast. There's a variety of services they offer. They have human resources for one. They have a sales program. 
They also work with the financials, whether you need to help set up your QuickBooks or go with a high level person that can help you do benchmarking, budgeting, and the likewise. They also do a lot of leadership training, whether you are the business owner, manager, or are just leaders in departments. They can tailor those packages for you. Reach out to them for a free consult and they will see what your needs are and offer different opportunities for you to put in motion to take your business to the next level. They have been successful over the past few years in helping organizations not only grow, but grow as much as two, three, and 400% in a 12 month period. Certainly they understand it takes a strong foundation and there are years where there may be no growth leading up to this as they put the right pieces in place. Reach out to them at www.garybontrager.com. You can reach out to them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter and get the free advice that they offer. And that may be just what you need to set you on a different path to lead you forward and be successful in your business and your life. We appreciate them supporting us. One thing I also see, and I, I think uh, just in the short time we've been talking this morning, it's clear you connect with people really quickly. I try to. And that's the thing with sales. I'm a happy person. Yeah, but that's the thing with sales. <laughs> sure. That, you know, that's where the human element comes in. Sure. If you can connect with people and win their trust, uh, I think so often then when you become a clerk, as you say. Yeah. At that point, the relationship effectively doesn't matter, yeah. they say. Right. And when that happens, though, the client's becoming a number, the employee's becoming a number, and it's just a transactional process. Exactly. And it, it, it does matter because it affects how, how the sales fluctuate on that. I, I see that all the time. I'm like... Well, and Ken, you brought up your selling the benefit, right? Exactly. And a Not lot necessarily of the features, even though that's a part of it. Yes. And I think that translation can get lost a lot of the time as well. Uh, when, yeah, when if the person doing the sales trained. doesn't understand the benefits, because right. a lot, most salespeople who have not been trained properly just look at features. Right. Exactly. And just give you an example, when I was doing the radio sales, before I even went into a business, I would do a little research on that business. Yes. And I would conceptualize why they should use, in this case, radio. Mm -hmm. But when I had my ad agency, it could be radio, TV, whatever. I would help determine that. But I would think about that. And then most of the time, I would actually start a script. You know, mm -hmm. and when I went in, I'd, I would just ask questions, what they want to accomplish, what what would you like to have the business be more than it is now, that type of thing. And I'd, you know, start writing out a script and things. And I said, well, what do you think of this idea? Because ideas and creativity is everything. Now, most TV and radio, they don't allow their salespeople to do scripts. That's the production people. Well, mm. I'm sorry. You know, that's, that's where the idea is. And so that's why I, you know, looking back on my analytics, 
I think I was between 60 and 80% close ratio on the first call mm -hmm. because I was there. I wouldn't have walked into the business if I didn't think they were going to say yes. If they gave me the appointment, why would they say no to a great idea? I want to highlight that, something you said. You were asking questions mm -hmm. to find out what the need of the client was. And that's all that you can that, do. Right. But you've seen this, I'm sure, over and over, and I see it with clients we work with in consulting. You have a young sales guy who walks in, explains to them the product he's trying to sell, comes back with a bid, tries to sell it to them. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had them work for me and do this. Mm -hmm. And the client goes, but I don't want that. I want this. I'm sitting there going, how in the heck did you not know what they actually wanted because you oh, didn't absolutely. even take the time to ask a question and yeah. build a relationship. And they're probably going, eh, we're going to let him run through the exercises yeah. just to screw with him. Or let me think about it. Yeah. You know, yeah, that it's kind of thing. Yeah. Come back later and stuff. Yeah. And I will just tell people, yeah. cause I'm the point, you know, I usually go. So if we would do business, what are three things that are important to you? That way I clearly understand. And so I know when I come back, I can check the three things off. And when I go through all those things, and it may be one, it may be two. Sure. I can get to the end and go, are there any questions? Is there something I missed in this process? There's something but else. That is relationship and yeah. dialogue. Right. And that's connection. And that's where people are going to sell. If you're a young salesperson right now, you need to be listening to Ken on this one. <laughs> well, it's you need huge. to be researching, um, finding the you know, reading from the professional salespeople, and I can't even off the top of my head remember all the vast numbers of books that I read and, and um, you know, how I uh, became successful through selling by a betcher. Yeah. You know, it's not a sales book. It's a relationship book. Right. You know, and then... And, Zig Ziglar changed my life. Well, Zig Ziglar, <laughs> I mean, he's top of the heap. I actually yeah. was fortunate to hear him speak several times because one of the corporate musical things we did, Planet Corporate Things, were motivational. Right. And so I got to meet a lot of these guys. Yeah. And I was just, I was eating it up. Yeah. I've met him. I seen him speak one time, but uh, I bought a, yeah, probably one of his older books. All it said is Ziegler on selling. Mm -hmm. And it was just simply about asking questions and relationships and how to build those. And yeah. today I have tweaked a lot of that, but it was certainly foundational. And Carnegie's book. Yes, those are must. How to too. win friends, influence people. Yeah. If that's the only one you read, you're going to be successful yeah. if you put it into practice. And Covey has a book. I think what is it called? The Seven Habits of Highly Successful yes. People. It's, that's a that's great one. another one that's great, and another new one. If anyone's listening and wants, and I tell a lot of young people to listen to, he's a fellow Iowan. Uh, Chris Voss grew up down in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, but he wrote the book Never Split the Difference. I haven't heard that. And he was an FBI negotiator. So, you know, if you have three hostages in a bank, you can't shoot one in the head, one in the leg, and send the third one out. You got you to gotta talk them out of it all. And that was his thing. But his thing was that I use, and it relates to sales, and it's a fun read. It's all about asking questions, framing questions, tone of voice to draw them in to like you. Sure. And he says, I've had, you know, he, and he shares a story in there where he's even had the uh, person that was holding the place up, you know, because they would be on so many hours and then switch negotiators, 
ask for him back. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, because I like him. And yeah. then he goes, when that happened, I knew he was getting close to surrendering. <laughs> but it's just because it, it comes back to how you frame questions and communicate and relate to people. Right. And that's that's the lost art I talk about in being able to have two-way communications. Yes. I, I, I kid my my kids who are, you know, from 41 down to 31 age-wise, I kid them about, would you just call me, <laughs> not text me, or, you know, at least FaceTime me or something like that so we can actually have a two-way conversation. Right. Or other people will ask me questions and it's all on text. And so after about the second one, I go, call me, here's my number. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and I think that that is... I think a lot of the reason that younger sale, salespeople stub their toe, yeah, they're unsure of how to have those face-to-face -face conversations and feel comfortable in them. You know, it's. I think it's training. I think yeah. most. My background's media. I think most media companies, TV, radio, any of them, really fall down on training their people properly because back. In the 70s and 80s and even the early 90s, I mean, the radio advertising bureau was famous for having some of the absolute best sales training out there, regardless of what you were in. Right. And they, and they made their staff go through it. Mm -hmm. Well, then it, it just got away from that. I think some budget cuts uh, probably did some of that when the economy got a little tough. For a period of time, but it it seems. But isn't I'm that instead of an excuse? Isn't shouldn't that be a reason though to ramp it up? It should, and I'm starting to see that that's becoming again a little more common. They're yeah. starting to invest in their people, and I'm seeing. I think it's a trend that at one point back to basically going from a salesperson to a clerk and cutting back on employee training, I think we're starting to see the industry just across the board, companies understanding how important that training and investing in their employees is. I hope they are. Because, and I think one thing that drives it is it's so hard to get employees right now. Oh, yeah. You know, the workforce is shifting. And I think what they're realizing is you better train and give them top tier experiences mm -hmm. to where they can, you know, advance and improve themselves. Cause if you don't, you're going to get left behind on, on the employment side. So. Isn't it interesting though? And I, I don't want to keep going back to my age, but isn't it interesting that through generations, each generation was scared to a certain extent that they would be replaced by the next younger generation or generations, okay? I don't feel it. Right, I would agree. I don't feel that most of the younger generation, I mean, there's outliers and there's exceptions, but as a whole, I'm not feeling the pressure that they're going to creatively come up and be able to, you know, do what I do or do it better or that kind of thing, which is why I continue to be extremely busy as I want to be. And, and it, it just, it saddens me a little bit, but then I think that has to do with a lot how they're raised too, because I look at my three kids and I'm very proud because they're all motivated, driving, very successful. 
you know, and I find that interesting that you bring that up because, you know, I think some of the generational things like my father was, I mean, he, you know, sometimes using a calculator, but he never trusted it today. You know, I'm the next generation. I have all this technology and I think it's great, but I know the next generation, like my kids and the ones that are shooting this. Yeah. They're, they've got the ability to understand and work with this technology better than I do. Oh gosh. Yes. And all they're doing is helping me serve my clients better. Yeah. And it's, and it's That's not, true. they're not taking a position from yeah. me. They're helping me do my job better. Yeah. And so when I think if people can focus on how we can work together, mm-hmm. that I, I get excited to see young people come into the workforce and the things they can do because technology is changing. Yeah. I mean, you've seen tremendous change. Oh my. <laughs> well, my whole business is based on yeah. technology. When I started, we took a major upgrade to our studio, took our $100,000 loan out for getting to professional video equipment across the board. And uh, prior to that, it cost two or three million dollars to what I was able to do for a couple hundred thousand. Right. And that has even gone further right. into yeah. the phone that I carry. Right. We're talking 4K resolution. I've got a stabilizer if I want to use it. And, uh, you know, the drones and everything like that. I mean, I love technology. Yeah. yeah. And everything in the computer from an editing standpoint and everything else is just icing on the cake and now yeah now i've got a green screen set up in my home and i can shoot content whenever i want there you go i love green screen i have been doing that for decades but it's crazy even when it was hard well but you were probably doing it in a studio setting i'm just saying the technology's changed where we can that's true now i need the next generation to come set it up for me teach me how to use it but and they have to edit it for me but uh one thing that i'm going to jump forward to a little bit just keep moving here you made a statement uh, when we were doing a little research that you became unemployable. <laughs> and I'm curious what you mean by that statement, I guess, not so much surrounding. Well, that was my last job. That was the music store situation. Okay. And to me, I've always valued freedom and control of my own time over money. Okay. Because I believe if you have a passion and you gain the talent and knowledge and skills to accomplish that passion. And then you try to figure, well, can I make a buck from it? You might not be able to. A lot of musicians don't make much money. Right. Okay. I decided I didn't want to live out of a briefcase right. and travel. And also we were hit with the Carter years and the recession yep. and it killed the road band. And it was, it was difficult. You right. know, we went through ups and downs. So, I decided that I was going to take charge no matter what. And honestly, the first four, five, six years, I could barely pay the rent. Cost me my first marriage. I mean, you know. Paid a price for it. Well, she wanted a guy with a nine-to-five job, and I said, that's not me. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, you know, with every effort to work it out, it just didn't work. But then I met my current wife. And she came, her former husband, she and he built car dealerships in Florida. He's from Anamosa. She's from Monticello. Right. But they got in, he sold cars during college and then got in with a a guy that wanted to open up dealerships and he ended up with seven dealerships. Right. 
So, so hard work was. Just... But we came from a very similar situation right. that way, and then when we finally met each other, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is great. Somebody really enjoys this and understands it and she handles all the finances which is good because i'm a drummer i count to four and quit so <laughs> you just buy more equipment right <laughs> if there's money there. i'm trying to get better at that <laughs> no I, that that phrase just caught me i think the thing that i'm seeing even companies do for employees a lot too is uh there went a time where things were run very rigid and organized yeah. And I'm starting to see a tremendous amount of leniency or uh, just a lateral movement in companies like work sure. from home some. Uh, they collaborate, work in groups more. Uh, the workforce today is different. I think it went from we have plenty of employees. We're not having trouble finding them. So yeah. these are the rules. And you probably, I mean, I, under, I remember that era. I think technology's had a lot to do with yeah. it. My son and his wife were in Orlando for 12 years, and they uh, worked for and helped develop an internet-based company that dealt with car dealers. Okay. Well, they wanted to start a family, but they didn't want to have their kids raised in Florida. Right. So they said, we want to move back. And they told the company, and the company said, we can't lose you, because my son had actually developed a database for the whole thing. And they said, would you consider homeshoring? And this was nine almost 10 years ago well before okay. covid then oh yeah yeah so they moved back and from day one to this day have done all of their work from their home mm -hmm. yeah and we're seeing that so much more so how are you seeing that change where your advertising used to or how you used to advertise to well, today. that's interesting because when my wife and I built our house in 89, we designed it around our studios and offices. Okay. And we thought, well, maybe 89. after two or three years, we'll have a facility with employees and that type of thing. Well, I have, I have a problem with bureaucracy. And my wife says I'm not well supervised. So <laughs> I decided to keep it to as many clients as I could do handle myself, which pretty good manager so it grew very large but it was manageable right uh -huh. and so we just kept it that way okay yeah and overhead costs are lower uh, -huh. uh when covid hit people would ask me says well how has this changed how you do business it's, it hasn't it doesn't yeah we're still here we're doing it all yeah. i mean most of my i do so much work out of state you know, I produced commercials for the International Finals Rodeo and yeah. done that for years and and all kinds of markets around the country. I do voiceover work, that type of thing. And, uh -huh. and now it's just all over the Internet and it's wonderful. So what's changed in marketing? Have you had to adjust your niche in marketing a lot since since you've started to now or how how do you mean? Well, we uh, in 92, there was no social media, right? And so today that's a big, you know, I, uh, back in the early and mid nineties, I would spend 20 and $30,000 just on yellow pages. Oh, you're talking about promoting my own right, business. Well, promoting your own or how you help promote others. Are, are you still promoting others the same or, well, cause those aspects are changing. Television doesn't have the same, uh, radio's different people, you know, social media, like still valuable though. It's valuable. I'm not discounting yeah. it, but I'm just saying like yellow pages are gone. Yeah, totally. And so I was never a fan anyway. No, I, I wasn't <laughs> I really, I really it, wasn't because 
I was yeah. in a service industry, so I had to have it so they could find me. But I spent so much money, and I felt oh, exactly. I didn't know if it ever quite really gave me the return. It depends on the business because I broke it down between emotional and non-emotional media. Okay, emotional okay. media is TV, radio, cable, the things that you know right. had had music and voice and right. things like that. Uh, which social media can enter that if it uses video or audio right. or things like that. Non-emotional media was always print, billboards, yellow pages, things like that. You look at a newspaper, and I don't care how big the ad was, it wasn't going to pop up, grab you by the collar, and say, hey, look at this. If you right. if you needed tires, you would seek out the tire ads in the paper. But if you didn't need tires, didn't exist. You just right, right mm -hmm. past it. So I had to – I've always just looked at – what a business is trying to accomplish, try to match up the proper media to that business, figure out how much media it would need to do it based on their geographical reach. Are they, are they Johnson County only? Are they doing the whole ADI, which would bring in Channel 2, 7, 9, that type of thing? Um, you know, every business is different. But then I would say, well, this is what I believe you should be doing as a mix. I always believed in a mix of advertising. And then I would look at how much that mix might cost. I didn't do the cost first. I didn't ask them, well, what's your budget? Because they don't know. Most businesses look at advertising as a fixed expense. It's not. It's a variable expense with a return on investment. And based on that, you have to pick the right one. Now, unless you have all the money in the world, like, maybe a car dealer, McGrath, somebody right. like that, you have to be very efficient. Right. And my big thing was to get the best return on investment on based on what they could afford to do in the right media. And I just got a knack over it by having published a magazine, sold couponing, sold ads, sold radio, been involved in it all, and I just got a real hybrid overview of that to where some of my clients, Sycamore Mall was a client. Yes. They would have me come in with all of their businesses and do a seminar teaching them how to determine how they can advertise for themselves. I wouldn't get any business from that. No. Right. I didn't want to because in my entire advertising agency career, I've never solicited a client. I've either been referred or they just came to me, which right. I'm blessed that way. But... But results was everything. And most of my clients I had for, you know, 10, 20, 25 years. Wow. Yeah, I think yours is still unique. You do a lot of, because you build the commercials effectively. Oh, production work has always been our biggest revenue. When I started the ad agency, I figured, well, maybe it'll be 15, 20% of our revenues. Because audio and then eventually video, and, and still today video production, is by far our largest revenue stream. Okay. And... um like I mentioned before, I did I did a few websites for clients, right? And I would say that's my least liked thing, and I never wanted it to be any kind of a profit center, and I made right. sure it wasn't because <laughs> the clients I have, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, I started off for my bands because I knew that was important right. for promoting my bands, but then I had clients say, well. We're so disappointed, and we just paid $10,000 to somebody, and they left town. I go, oh, okay, okay, I'll do it, and I would do it, 
it would be nice. It would be work. You know, it would work for him, but I didn't enjoy it. And <laughs> There's so, a lot that goes into websites. Well, there is, and it changes it. all the time. Yes, right? it really it's does. It's crazy. The the service end of that is something you really almost need to be set up for, and especially a company. Some of these are getting fairly complex, and there's interaction on them a lot. It's more than a yeah. landing page these well, days. Well, the SEO too was yeah. was yeah. very difficult, and it changed all the time. It's like a moving target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, in the beginning, when everybody told me almost 20 years ago that the internet within five years was going to replace everything, I didn't believe it then because I thought it was like spitting in the ocean. Well, now you ha- you can narrow it down. You can demographically and through interests and analytics and the whole thing, you can target it a lot better. But I also look at the results of what businesses spend on their social media. That's not a very good return. Yeah, not for a lot of But they've been convinced that that's the way, the way to do it. And that goes back to, I see businesses earmark X for a marketing budget, and then they throw it at some agency and... I would encourage them, let's figure out where the results are going to be. Mm-hmm. You have to have some built in and be able to make some adjustments if the results are not there, yeah. uh, unless you just want a tax write-off. But Well, I called on agencies for advertising, and when I started my own, I vowed that I was not going to do anything like they did at all, because to most agencies, especially the larger ones, all they cared about was that commission. Yeah. That they could get off of it. And if the results weren't, I don't even think they even talked results. Right. And so that bothered me a whole lot. Another thing that really bothered me is most agencies played with the money and they wouldn't pay the media for 90, 120, 150 days. Hmm. And well, I vowed when I started mine that we were going to pay within 30 days period. And we always have. And because of that relationship, right, we get treated better. Right. You know, the media knows us, they like us, and right. and so we'll get Excellent. more for our client yeah. for their money. Relationships, once again. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you see advertising going from here? Well, I think that traditional advertising, which I would categorize as, as TV, radio, cable, um, has very strong viability still. If you look at just the strict numbers people are still watching it, okay? But your business has to benefit from the right kind. Like I said, if you're, if you're Iowa City, Coralville area only for your business, you may question using a broadcast TV station just because you're going to have 80% or more waste in what you're spending. That doesn't mean that you can't get a good deal on some advertising. There are, there are certain programming that is great, and it's worth it by all means. But that kind of, I use that a lot of times to fill in the cracks of what more targeted media can be. Um, Radio's been, always been kind of neat because they demographically started targeting when FM radio stations came around and said, well, this one's going to be rock. This is going to be country. This is going to be this and that. Up until then, you had the WMT AMs that would play every style of music, every talk Mm -hmm. show, everything like that. That also has its benefits, too, if you can fit in. But um, And then, of course, you have the newspapers, which I don't know, unless you have a puppy or a parakeet, I think it's just a little 
questionable on on the reach of it. But well, their numbers are terrible. Yeah, they are. They just don't have circulation is kind of going away. Yeah, exactly. So things change, things evolve. Social media has come on. It can be used properly, but I think that you can't just throw money at it blindly. I like it for the free standpoint. If the businesses themselves, which I advise a lot of my clients, because I'm I don't place their social media anymore. Right. I did that for a while, and it's mm-hmm. just like, why don't you guys take care right. of it? If they would take the time and effort on a regular basis to post things for free, right on the you know LinkedIn and Facebook and those types of things. Some some of those platforms I think will probably start charging at some point. So they've got a tremendous opportunity at this sure. point to do that. But, well, they can, they can. Yeah. I mean, they're uh, and you can boost and do you can boost and, with that, yeah. but. I want to thank you, Ken, for joining us. This hour went extremely quickly. Well, it's I, been a pleasure. I also, uh, because I feel like we we think of marketing, it can be different at times, but I feel like you've done a good blend of taking what was very, like the most popular thing and explaining the viability and the diverse different ways of marketing a company mm-hmm. because it's one single thing will never just, completely probably be a shoe the mix that is fits all of it right yeah but where can people find you where can people find me yeah, if they want to look you up online or well uh we have admarketproductions.com um primarily i the only advertising i really do is for my bands funkdaddies.com okay. it's our 20th year wow we're very proud of that yes i have the invisible band which is a jazz contemporary jazz group um, I've always continued to perform, been playing professionally since I was 13. Um, and I figure that's where I'm going to fall off the throne at the end of the encore, you know, it's playing uh, music, playing music. I mean, yeah. I mean, we rehearse every week. Uh, we, we perform every single week, you know, very, very busy. We become popular. I love it. It's that's my happy place and everything. But I love everything else too. Yeah, you know. Well, I want. I want to ask you, <laughs> since it's a state fair week here in Iowa, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that Funk Daddies have performed at the state fair, right? No, not the no. Iowa State Fair. We've done okay. the Johnson County Fair. We've also opened up for several big groups like the Beach Boys, Grand Funk Railroad. Okay. Last year it was a Night Ranger at the Coralville concert. Um, you know, we've done festivals, play a lot of corporate events. Uh, we love this Friday. We'll be at Cedar Ridge Winery. We okay. love that place. Um, we keep. Who doesn't love a good winery? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we play a lot. Yeah. We play a lot. Good for you. Uh, right before COVID, a uh, good friend and I, John Reasoner, who I've played with since 76, um, came up with a show called Spotlight Live. And we produced our first two episodes, and we did it up at Opus Concert Cafe, and we had Craig Erickson, who's a local famous guitarist, and then Alicia uh, Monet, and we did two episodes. We had sponsors lined up. We had Sinclair stations across the state, Mediacom across the state agreed to broadcast the episodes. COVID. Yeah. Mm. So it shut that down. It did shut it down. We want to revive it, but... Yeah. We're questionable as to the effort and the desire and the work right. that it would take right. to to reinvigorate. But the first two episodes are still on uh, on uh, 
YouTube, and uh, we're very proud of what we did. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for joining us, Ken. Yeah. Appreciate uh, you taking the time to come into the studio and visiting with us. I know we didn't get in on the music side of things much, but that's okay. it was great to visit. I think this will be enlightening for the audience just on different aspects of how they maybe market and uh, promote their businesses. Mm -hmm. And also one thing I would point out, it's been uh, interesting. I think people can take away often we get stuck doing things and we feel like, well, this is what I need to do. You've had adversity at times and been able to adjust and shift. And, you know, whether it be economics or just other things that come. So that's one thing with the name of our uh, our podcast, with being Mindset Growth Podcast. You know, we, we talk about people who have experienced change and how that's helped them progress through life in a positive way. So with that, Ken Duncan, thank you for joining us on Mindset Growth Podcast. If you would please hit the like button and subscribe to follow our channels so that you get all the information that we put out there, we would appreciate that. If you have any questions or guests that you'd like to see on this show, please drop those in the comments, uh, get in touch with us, and we will try to answer those questions for you as well. With that, we thank you for joining us on Mindset Growth Podcast.